Amen. Thank you. Our kids can head up to be with our team in Redemption Kids. And I'd like to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's life-giving and indestructible word to the book of Revelation. That's the last book in the Bible. We'll be starting in chapter 3 this morning uh, and verse 14. And let me just say, Redemption Hill, I have already been encouraged this morning because even a couple of weeks ago, we talked about what it means when we heard Jesus call to wake up and to be fully alive to the reality of who he is and the life that he's called us to live. And I just got to say that you were singing like you're awake and awake to Jesus and as if he is really alive and so are you. So that just encourages me as one of your pastors. Uh, my name is Tanner Turley. I serve as uh, one of the pastors here at Redemption Hill. If you're new, we're so thankful you're here. Uh, if you are new, we would love for you because we not only uh, value our relationship with God, but we value our relationship with one another. Uh, if you would fill out the connect card at the bottom of the worship guide at some point and then drop it in the box on your way out, uh, that would serve us to be able to serve you and just get to know you. Uh, but as, as we begin this morning in, in studying God's Word in the book of Revelation, we're in this last letter of Jesus. Uh, in chapters 2 and 3, Jesus writes seven different letters to seven different churches. And uh, I just have been kind of uh, amazed once again by the Lord and His timing in, in, in how He orchestrates things that we don't even see. And you say, well, Tina, what are you talking about? Uh, well, I really believe that this is a timely work. You know, when you plan out sermon series, you know, sometimes months in advance, uh, oftentimes months in advance, uh, you don't kind of see how God is going to work everything together. But I think this is a timely word as we launch into Holy Week, Easter week, uh, for a couple of reasons, okay? Um, I think most of us would agree that Easter is, in many respects, the Sunday of all Sundays. You know, it's kind of the Super Bowl of Sundays in the church calendar. And why is that? Well, uh, it is the Sunday that we highlight and emphasize this uh, once and for all historic decisive act in Jesus Christ by which he conquered death like he said he would, proving that everything that he said was true. And in that moment, he is ushering in with his coming, life, death, and resurrection, he is ushering in the kingdom of God among us that is already present, but that will fully come when he comes back. And so the resurrection validates the story. It is the epicenter, the cross and the empty tomb, the epicenter of the story of Christianity. So by all means, we should be ready for an amazing week and an amazing Sunday next Sunday. But as you and I both know, this Sunday of Sundays, this kind of Super Bowl of Sundays, is the Sunday when the thousands upon thousands of people around us are most receptive to an invitation to join us to reflect, remember, and perhaps discover who Jesus is and why he matters not just for our lives, but for every life on planet Earth. And so I don't assume that's lost on us, but I want to uh, just remind us and, and pray into if we allow, listen, if you, and let's just think individually for a moment, if you will allow these words of Christ to fall on your heart this morning and to uh, continue to, to take you 
into deeper steps with him in all that he has for you, what I love is that it's not only going to propel you into an amazing week of worshiping Jesus and being on mission with him, April 14th through 21st, but you and I both know this dirty little secret that many people don't acknowledge, recognize, or understand. The reality of Easter is an everyday reality for everyone who knows him. Did you hear me? Easter is an everyday reality for those of us who have been made alive in Christ and have moved from death to life. And so the greater prayer, the greater prayer, is not simply that these words of Jesus would fall on our hearts in a fresh way and propel us into this next week, but that this next week would serve as a preview and a precursor to everything that's going to come in the rest of 2019. And may it be so, Lord Jesus. So let's read these words together. Let's prayerfully consider them. Ask the Holy Spirit to show us who he is and who we are and how we need to continue to keep in step with Christ. And let's respond as he leads us. This is what Jesus says to the church in Laodicea. Chapter 3, verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, The beginning of God's creation. I know your works, Jesus says. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so, Father, even now, hearing these words, we ask that you would give us ears to hear what your Holy Spirit wants to say to this church and each individual that has come together uh, with this church today. 
We need you, God, to open our eyes, to open our ears, to open our hearts, to help us move accordingly with what you speak to us through these words of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. I want to ask you two questions this morning for your careful consideration and prayerful resolve to live according to what you hear from God this morning, okay? And these two questions are, are diagnostic, but they're also, uh, in, in a sense, uh, very uh, just, just kind of confrontational as we hear these words from Christ. And this is, by the way, anytime we open the Bible or we hear on a Sunday or wherever we are, uh, this, this is always the reality, right? There's a response to be had. We will either receive it and, and accept it and move accordingly, or we'll say, you know what? Good. And so the two questions I want to ask, the first one is this. Do you see any spiritual indifference and ineffectiveness in your life? Do you see any spiritual indifference and ineffectiveness in your life? Now, listen, I just stood up here and and celebrated the fact that we're singing like we know Jesus, right? We're singing like we're alive, all right? And and that seems to be the case this morning for for, for the vast majority of us in the room. And yet you and I both know that uh, we can't just make a blanket assumption that, hey, everyone's in the same spot spiritually, and everyone sees God the same way, and everyone's following in the ways of Jesus as he's laid out. And not only that, but the the slippery nature of our hearts in that we we gravitate toward our own ways and not God's ways. It's only by his grace that we keep in his path. You and I both know that no matter how focused you are, how awake and alive you may be this morning, there are going to be times in your life when you look back and you see, wow, I've, I've grown indifferent. My heart has grown lukewarm before God. And so no matter what your condition may be this morning, these are words we need to hear because they're absolutely relevant to every day of our lives until the day we die. And what we have going on here is this major juxtaposition between what the Laodicean Christians think of themselves and what Jesus sees and knows to be true about them. And so what I want to do is I want to start in verse 17 because this is revealing uh, the, the Laodiceans' view of themselves, what they think about themselves, and then we'll get to what Jesus knows to be true about them. So look back at verse 17 again. Jesus calls out their own words, their own attitude before him. He says, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, And I need nothing. These three words, I need nothing, sum up the spiritual condition of their hearts. They are self-satisfied and in a place of indifference before God in the life that he is continuing to call them to. 
Now, as we peer a little closer into verse 17, what seems to be going on is we have uh, these words forming what amounts to a double meaning, okay? When they say, I am rich, I have prospered, um, that is true in two senses, all right? Um, Number one, history would tell us that Laodicea was a very wealthy city. Okay, let me explain why. Number one, it was situated in the Lycus River Valley, which meant that agriculture was thriving and so was the, the, the sheep market, okay? So they had formed this special uh, breeding practice of sheep to uh, produce uh, many, many black sheep, okay, which was uh, actually a good thing. I know we don't want to be the like, black sheep of our family or the black sheep of the group or whatever, but, you know, like black sheep, well, this was a great breeding practice because it produced this unique wool that was very desirable and consequently very lucrative as they sold it and exported it all over the region. Not only that, Laodicea was at the crossroads of two major trade routes running north and south and east and west, and so that made it a center of trade, commerce, and banking, much like Boston. And then also like our great city, Laodicea boasted a, a great medical school that was known for their ophthalmology. And, uh, and so they were, they were known for, for so uh, many just resources, and this added to their affluence and wealth. But Jesus is, is not only saying, hey, yes, you, you, you say I am rich, you say I've prospered. This is true physically and materially, but what this has done is that it has led you to... Uh, view your, your, your spiritual life in the same way. By the way, this is what happens oftentimes when we have everything we want materially. Blessed are the poor, Jesus said. Hard words to buy in American culture where consumerism and materialism reigns, and I can be just as guilty as the next person when it comes to wanting that next thing or that. But, but, but what can often happen, is, as Jesus would tell us in the parable of the sowers, I just read this week in Matthew 13, is that, is that when we uh, thrive materially, when God says something, when the word falls on our heart, uh, that, that these thorns come and choke out the word, and he, he likens it to uh, the, the, the cares of this world and the riches that can choke out God's work in our lives. And so they thought because they had everything materially that they didn't really have much spiritual need. Like everything is good, you know, and I don't need to come to God. I don't need anything, what, you know. And so they had, they had grown cold in their relationship with God due to their material riches in large part. And so Jesus is saying, look, you are materially rich, but you are spiritually impoverished. And as we look carefully at verse 17, we see this, we've been highlighting this again and again and again through this seven-letter series, Dear Church, that almost without fail, and this is where we need God just to show us where we are before him this morning, almost without fail, these people were probably oblivious to their spiritual condition. We know this is true here in Laodicea because what does Jesus say? You say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. The next two words. Not realizing. Not realizing your true condition. German theologian and pastor Hans Lyle said 
this. He was part of the, the Confessing Church in the uh, early to mid-1900s. The Confessing Church was uh, the church that, by and large, stood against Hitler's uh, regime in uh, Nazi Germany. Um, and, and this is what he said about uh, our lives when we get to this place, okay? He said, the inevitable result of spiritual complacency and self-satisfaction is the loss of all true self-knowledge. Wow. Do, do you see that? When we grow self-satisfied with where we are in life, what happens is we lose our sensibility to understand really where we are before God. This is why we need the Holy Spirit to wake us up, to convict us, to lead us, to sometimes tap us on the shoulder, or sometimes to, I'll just speak for myself, whack me upside of the head and say, like, Tanner, no, 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 no. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus in the way, listen, in the way. We keep, Steve and I keep talking about it, my friend Steve Abula. Uh, we keep talking about this New Testament Christianity, the real thing. Like what we read in the pages of Scripture, like, like the costly kind, you know, the, the one where Jesus says, and we sing about it, come to me and die <laughs> so that you can find life. In other words, surrender, we sing about surrender everything over to me. And when you do, you're going to find life. You're going to find everything that you ever wanted and were looking for. But we need God to show us this. They thought they were good. They thought they were all set, but Jesus saw a different story. He uses five uh, descriptors to uh, communicate their true condition. He says they are wretched. In other words, they were in a state of uh, full of distress that would be extremely unhappy if you were to realize this condition. Number two, they were pitiable. In other words, their condition should not be celebrated, but it should be one that we would feel sorry for. They are not actually rich, they are poor. Uh, when, they, when they look at the uh, eye chart, they don't have 20-20 vision, but they're legally blind. They have all these great medical prescriptions and approaches, and Jesus says, you need healing. Wonderful clothes, and yet he says, you're spiritually naked, you're exposed, and you're shamed before me and before others if you saw your true condition. And what I love about Jesus is he's such a great communicator. Did you notice as I, as I shared about the history of Laodicea that, that Jesus speaks into the, the three areas where they would have the greatest pride in their life, their riches, their, 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 the, the, the wool that they sold and the garments that they produced, as well as their, their medical school and then the salve that they, that they made and sold and exported. He, he's, he's pointing out that the, where you put your greatest boast is, is actually, when you look spiritually, you're just the exact opposite. And why Jesus does this is why he does it with us. He does it to grab their attention because he loves them. Because he wants to wake them up and bring them back. And so it's this assessment in verse 17, their true condition, that then helps us understand 
what verses 15 and 16 are really saying. These are somewhat famous verses if you've read the Bible or maybe heard many sermons when Jesus says, I know your works, you're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And so let's step back and maybe let's even start with the blank slate, like a, you know, like a blank tablet here in terms of what Jesus is saying about hot, cold, and lukewarm. This, this was a, a metaphor that the Laodiceans would have uh, recognized because while they had a lot of money and nice clothes and, you know, some great healing, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, medicine, they actually had a very, very weak water supply, which meant that they had to pipe in water through aqueducts from Hierapolis to the north and Colossae to the south. Hierapolis was known for their hot springs. If you went to that region of the world today, there's still hot springs there that also had medicinal value. Colossae had cold, refreshing springs. But by the time you brought that water from those two areas, guess what? The hot water cooled down and the cool water heated up. And it was lukewarm. And so often, so often when we get to this, this, this portion of the Bible, and, and, you know, I can gravitate toward this because I, I think God's kind of wired me to be a passionate person. Uh, usually what we hear is like, get hot for God, right? Be passionate. Let God set your soul on fire. And I can get excited about that. But Jesus says, I wish you were hot or cold. And so, listen, is the passion implied here? Absolutely. Is a heart that's fully devoted and fully focused on God and his plan for us implied here? Absolutely. But the larger point, the larger focus is that the purpose for which they were created is not being fulfilled. It is not taking effect. And so the greater, the greater indictment on the Laodicean Christians is that they were living their life in such a way that had very little to no effect. Do you remember just a couple of weeks ago when we talked about wake up? I am going to teach. I am going to preach. Thank you. I love a little bit of encouragement. It just gives me a little more passion and riled up. Thank you, Pastor Reddy. Anybody else out there wants to give me some? You're probably like, hey, no, no, no. Pastor Reddy, good. This guy's already too riled up. All right. So we said two weeks ago, that, that, that Timothy, he said in 2 Timothy 3 that, that, that in the last days that people are going to go from bad to worse and they're going to love themselves and they're going to love many all more than they love God. And he says they're going to have a form of godliness but denying its power. Let me translate that. You look really good. You showed up to Redemption Hill. Not just one week, but man, Four weeks in a row. Come on now. 
You know, most people aren't going to church four weeks in a row. I mean, you know, you even carry your Bible places and, you know, you're looking quite nice on the outside and yet your life doesn't have an effect. It's not influential. It's not, in the words of Jesus, bearing fruit around you. You're not bringing change because the power of God is not overflowing in your life. Jesus wants them one way or the other. He doesn't want them in this place of indifference that leads to ineffectiveness. And these two, by the way, listen, these, these two always go hand in hand. We're talking about, please hear that, the, 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 the passion and the love and the devotion is implied. We gravitate toward the, the hot metaphor because we know that the, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is, is like a fire. And he comes in and he lights us up and he, and he causes the, the spiritual temperature in our hearts to rise. Um, but as we, as we think about how these two go hand in hand, we remember the words of 2 Timothy chapter 2 when Paul says this. He says, now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honorable use, some for dishonorable use. Therefore, listen. This is, the, this is the, the devotion. This is the passion. This is the, this is the focus. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Here's the effectiveness. Here's the fruitfulness. Here's the making a difference in the kingdom of God. Here's, the, here's not living a boring life where you get to the end and you don't have much to show for it. He will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, Useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Don't you remember the first four words of Jesus here? I know your works. He's talking about what their life is producing, how they're making a difference wherever God places them. And listen, I just want to say this, okay? And it just, this is comforting to me because God uses me. I am a broken man. I am an imperfect man. I am a sinful man. I do not always respond in the ways that Jesus would. God uses me in spite of me. And I really thank him for that. And I know God uses you in spite of you. But I also know that God's eyes range throughout the earth looking for hearts that are fully committed to him because he loves to accomplish his greatest work from people who are so in tune with him that they would be quick to not only move out in power, but when they see the power come and they see the effect and they see friends come and they see friends saved, they're not taking the credit for it. <laughs> This is so serious because of what Jesus says. I mean, Jesus tells us the severity of the condition and how he views our indifference and ineffectiveness. This is why we have to, we have to ask this question. Do you see any spiritual indifference and ineffectiveness in your life? Because Jesus says, if you are indifferent, that's leading to an ineffectiveness, then, then you are not of much use to me and my kingdom. 
In fact, so much so, it's so contrary. Listen, it's so contrary. We keep talking about this. I love this because Revelation, Jesus presents himself as the one who is alive. And so if we live in such a way that doesn't show that Jesus is alive, we're contradicting the very Christ that saved us and brought us into this resurrected life. And so he says that because we're lukewarm, that he would, he would spit us out of it. Like, in other words, it's just, it's, we're disgusting, and, and, and it's not, not drinkable water. And so I want to ask just a few questions. And so, Tina, I don't want to be indifferent, and I don't, I don't want to be ineffective. God's too good. Life is too short. I want to make a difference. I want to, I want to see God use me in my neighborhood, in my workplace, in this church. Oh, don't you believe that there's coming a day when every seat is full in this place? That is the goal, if the Bible is, you know, <laughs> true. Here's some questions. To diagnose our indifference, are you excited to come to worship? Are you excited to come here and worship? Do you have a growing concern for the physical and the spiritual needs around you? How alive is the Bible to you? When you read it, are they more than words on a page? Does your sin bother you? Does it bother you? Are you sensitive to God's presence? Is prayer reflexive? You know? Just in that moment, in the heat of that moment, and rather than, you know, talking to a thousand other people about that issue or that problem, like you turn to God reflexively. Do you enjoy being around your brothers and sisters in Christ? If you're part of this family, do you enjoy being around your other brothers and sisters in Christ, especially this church, but any church? Like, do, you just, do you enjoy? When is the last time you told someone about Jesus? Do you believe that God has more for you, and do you believe that God wants to do more through you? And we could just keep going, but there's just some questions to, to diagnose the, maybe the, the level of indifference that can creep up in our hearts at times. We need to ask these questions, and we need the Holy Spirit to show us where we are. The second question I want to ask us today gets to the solution to our indifference and our ineffectiveness. And that is that we would open the door to Christ and all that he is and he wants to do in our lives. And so the second question is simply this. Will you open the door to a deeper relationship with Jesus? Will you do that? This is, this is what verses 18 through 22 uh, call us into, and we see this explicitly in verse 20. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And so here's the very, 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 very good news about 
Jesus Christ. When your boy, Tanner, Pastor Tanner, you know, we have another Tanner in the house now. We just keep talking about this. There's like 24 hours of prayer. Uh, Tanner Parish was there. And, and like, you know, someone would say Tanner, we would both turn our head. And so I just want to say, uh, without bitterness or resentment in my heart, that uh, Tanner Parish has totally ruined uh, my experience as being the pastor of this church, all right? So uh, where are you, TP? Where is TP? Throw your hand out. I can't see. He's, oh, he's with kids. Okay, see. Good. He's out of here, man. I can't mess with my flow today. I'm the tanner in the house. Um, so anyway, where was I going? I'm about to quench the Holy Spirit in here making jokes. Um, where was I saying, man? I, when I do that, I just meant, what was I saying? Somebody help me. Nobody knows. At least I can't discern it. All right, so here we go. <laughs> Here's what Jesus is saying. I want, to, I want to go deeper in my relationship with you. I'm, I'm knocking, I'm knocking, and yeah, your boy Tanner, that's where I left off. God, God is saying to, to, to me and to you, when I am indifferent, that's where I was going, when you are indifferent, I'm coming after you. I'm coming after you. I'm not going to leave you where you are. I mean, so many times we think about how we knock on the door of heaven through asking, seeking, and knocking in prayer, and that's absolutely right. But guess what? We wouldn't even do that if Jesus didn't come knocking. And so, so often, again, just look, we interpret Scripture, we hear in a sermon of this or that, and, and so, so often we think about this verse in kind of, uh, more of, a, of a, a sense of Jesus is knocking on the life, the door, the heart of someone who doesn't yet know him. And if they would just open the door, he would come in and they would receive salvation. But that's not what he's, he's not talking to someone who doesn't know him. He's talking to people who know him. So listen, if, if you are here today and you have not yet fully bought into the story of Jesus, you haven't committed your life to follow him, the image certainly still fits. Jesus is knocking. Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. Jesus wants you to open the door of your life so that he can come in and fill it with every good thing that you've ever longed for. But listen, this message is to people who know him. Open up. Let me come in and let's, let's spend some time together. Let's, let's, let's have some quality time. Let's, let's uh, experience fellowship and, and a shared life in such a way that communicates that we really care about one another. So, well, Tanner, how do we do that? Verse 18 tells us, Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. So, so how we open the door to Christ is by hearing what he says, listening to his counsel, and actually accepting it. Now, as a quick sidebar, I just want to say that, listen, everyone in the room needs counsel. We all need some godly advice. We all need some biblical wisdom. 
And so can we create a culture in this church that never places any stigma on anyone who would ever go to any form of counseling? Whether that's pastoral or professional. We ought, like, even if life is going great, I mean, is there, not, is there not more wisdom that we can receive in our lives, our marriage, our work, our you name it? So this is just, let's, there's no stigma there. In fact, there's applause. You, did, you made a wise move. But the greatest counsel we could ever receive is only the counsel that's consistent with what Jesus has already said. And so we receive from him, we hear from him. And he says, come, come to me and buy from me. And I know that theologically we can tend to want to press details here, uh, but Jesus has already said they're poor, so they actually don't have much. Like, how could, how could a poor person buy gold? We can't, right? We can't. Jesus is not saying, come to me and, 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 and buy because you have resources. He's already exposed how they don't have resources. So he's using this metaphor because, again, it, it, makes, it makes sense in their context that there was this, a city of commerce and trade, and, and so they understood what it meant to go to the store. Jesus is just saying, you're shopping at the wrong store. You need to come to me. You need to buy gold for me, and I will give you riches that will truly uh, satisfy you. You need to buy garments from me that will actually bring you honor when you move out and you, Colossians 3, clothe yourself with humility and meekness and love and forgiveness. You need the salve that comes from my healing touch. And when we come to him, We can be absolutely confident of his ability to overwhelm us with riches and clothing and and healing ointment. Why? Because Jesus says, I love this. Let's just not miss what he says about himself at the end of of chapter 3, that that he is also the one who conquered and sat down with his father on his throne. Jesus has the last word. He's conquered death. He's the one who's conquering all of his enemies. So, so in other words, like the greater to the lesser argument, like there's nothing that, that, that he can't do in our lives. This is why I'm so passionate when I, when I, when I sense that in my own life or in the life of, of our church, that we're not walking in that fullness because I know the problem is not with his resources. The problem is with us just opening our hands to receive them, to buy the gold and the garments and the, and the salve that he Offers us. And so Jesus then says, as he counsels them, he continues his counsel and he says, Look, verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Jesus does everything that he does out of love. You know, we were praying in pre-service prayer, and we were actually praying into this text because we were just asking the Holy Spirit to cause it to stick to our hearts and move us out today. And Brett was praying, and he, and he was just praying that, that we would, and this is a great way to pray every Sunday, that when we come here, we wouldn't hear words of condemnation from Christ. Because if you've received Christ in Christ, what? There is no condemnation. There's none. It's been done away with. 
But sometimes there are words of correction, reproof and discipline or corrections, even sometimes uh, some forms of punishment that train us and guide us back into the better path. So all of this is done out of love, just like a father and mother do with their children to bring them back. So Jesus says, once you hear this counsel, be zealous. Yeah, get hot. Give everything you've got in your devotion and in your purpose and passion to, to, to live for me. A whole, not a half-hearted commitment, but a wholehearted commitment. Jesus, you are my everything. And in everything in my life, I'm living my life for you. Be zealous and repent. Repentance just means getting our, our, our minds and our desires and our actions back in line with the path that God has for us. And so, based on these words from Jesus, my invitation to you today is this. Open the door to a new season with Christ. Open the door to a new season with Christ. Let it begin today. Let it begin today. And let it carry you throughout this week. But this isn't just Easter week, let's get excited. No, this is Easter is every day. And so this new season is one that's going to continue way beyond April 21st. Because I resolve not to be indifferent. I resolve that my life is going to count for the kingdom of God. And I'm going to live in such a way that lights up how magnificent God is. And that will pull people in to the compelling story of Jesus Christ. And so as we, as we do this, I just want to share a couple of quick stories that transpired over this past couple of weeks that will hopefully propel us into this, this worship of him that will overflow to the people around us. We were gathering for our group's nights of prayer uh, just, just two weeks ago. And one of the women in our church that was leading a segment of our prayer time, she, uh, she said that just, she just sensed the Holy Spirit was, was nudging her heart to, to share with, with the two groups that had come together to pray that God was, was saying, hey, you invite them, I will save and renew them. Sounds like God to me, you know, like, just sounds like, just sounds like the Father's heart. And so that what that became was just a word of encouragement that guided their prayer time from that point to, to really believe that God is this, Jesus is alive. He's the same God. He is, still, he is still saving people right now, today. But he's saying we have to move out. We have to in, invite them to come in and hear the message, right? Or we have to go out and invite them into the message whether or not they come on a Sunday for the first time. And so I just want to keep Asking the question, listen, in this season, who's your one? Like, who is the one person that you just can't shake? They're, just, they're on your mind. They're on your heart. You love them. You care about them. And you desperately want to see them step into the life of Christ as you have. Who's your one? Who's your, of course, more than one? But who's your one? Who, who, are, you, who are you pursuing in the love of Christ? Another story this, this week, uh, I heard that the, the, 
the students at Tufts were praying again on, on, on in the morning. Uh, they shifted the time to 8.30, a much more appropriate time for college students than 7.30 like it used to be. Uh, but I made that work. And so as I was walking up to Tisch Library uh, to meet with them, they were already praying. I was a few minutes late, and I'm walking up, and I, I see this guy who is uh, just, he's a landscaper. He's just a contract worker for the school. He's, he's blowing off the, the sidewalk. And so uh, I just, just saw him, just kind of took notice, and I went on and I prayed. And as we are praying there for the next 30, 40 minutes, uh, and at times you know this is how it works. You pray with your eyes closed. You pray with your eyes open. So I'm opening my eyes. I'm looking around. I'm seeing what's going on. And I sense the Holy Spirit is saying, you need to go talk to that guy. Okay, Lord, like, I'm, your, I'm your guy. You know, like, I'm not always your guy when you do that, but like, I want to be today. I want to be faithful. And so uh, I was praying even about that as we were praying. And, and, then, and then something strange uh, occurred. Uh, as, I was, as I was thinking about that, I felt like God was just saying, count the steps. Count the steps that, that it will take you. It, deviating from your normal path to get to your car, count the steps that it will take you to get to him. So I'm like, oh, God, if you want me to count the steps, I can, I can count. You know, I'm not, I'm not a, you know, physics major, you know, but I, I can count. So one, two, three, four, five, all the way to 200 steps just to have this conversation with him. The conversation went well. He, he says that he believes in God, and so we, we just had a short conversation. He was at work, you know, it wasn't time for just to chop it up, but, but it, it was, it, what, what was that? Like, was, it, was there anything special about the number 200? No. There was everything special about actually moving towards someone in the love and name of Jesus Christ. God has given us feet. Not to stand still but to move toward people in love. How beautiful are the feet that bring the good news. That means we have to move. We have to walk. It may be 12 steps. It may be 20 steps. It may be 2,000 steps. But God is calling us to go and to love people in his name. Not living in different lives, but lives that are fully focused on who he is and this story that he invites every single person into. God's heart bleeds for the people next to you in your workplace. God's heart bleeds for the people who live in your neighborhood. The coffee shops you frequent, the grocery stores where you get your, your, your goods, all right? God's heart is for all people. And he has invited us and given us the privilege to move forth in his name. And so what I want to do is I want to invite the music team to come up and, and, and we're going to have a prayer team that's, that's ready to pray with you today. And listen, I, I, God knows your heart. God knows where you are, you, you may be really in step with him. You may say that, Tanner, I have been indifferent, but not today, not this week. But you know what? I just want someone to pray with me. I just want someone to encourage me. I just have this one person that I'm praying for that I want someone else to pray with me for this morning. And so what I hope is this, is that this morning, this, this, this time of response can be a time of consecration. That it's an old uh, word in the Bible that just means that we can set apart our lives in this moment to say, God, we are fully committed to you. 
We refuse to be indifferent in your name. We refuse to be ineffective for your name. But we are just going to keep opening the door to you, God. And we're just going to keep receiving of all that you want to give us so that, as Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. And so whatever it is, God, however God is moving in your life today, just to stamp this. Listen, you can pray where you are. There's nothing magical about coming and praying with someone. But there can be something very encouraging. There can even be something very empowering about that. So I just want to invite you. I'm going to pray, and then our, our prayer team is going to come forward, and, and then you can stand, and you can sing, and you can pray where you are. You can pray down here. You can get on your knees. But it's business time. It's business time in the kingdom of God, and it's not just because Easter is this week, but it's especially because Easter is this week. Do you hear me? It's an every week thing. I keep saying that, but, but let's take full advantage of this moment in this season for the glory of God. So God, thank you for who you are. God, thank you for what you invite us into. God, we're amazed that you would love us. We're amazed that you would send your son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place. But then even beyond that, you invite us into your mission. And so, God, we ask that these moments would be moments of empowerment. There would be moments of full consecration, Lord, if, if there are some things that we need to confess and get off our chest just to say, you know what, God, I've been lazy, I've been indifferent, I've been distracted, I've been discouraged, I've been focused on a thousand other things besides you first and foremost, then God, just let us put that on the table. You're ready to receive that. You're ready to cleanse us. God, thank you for your love and your forgiveness. Oh, God, we can't wait to see how you're going to work this week. We can't wait to see what's going to happen on Good Friday and, and, and Easter weekend Saturday and Easter Sunday, God. We, we, we put it before you and we pray your will be done, your kingdom come. In light of your relentless love, not just for us, but for all people. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.